0: It's so wonderful to, to be in the pulpit once again in the new year, 2023, uh, by God's grace, keeping us through another year. And just for today and next Sunday, just a short series, topical series on the, the ethos or the mission and some of the practices of our church, of Heritage Baptist Church, Many of these things are not unique to heritage, but uh, we just thought it's wise and it's something that we do fairly regularly every sort of few years. Uh, I have a series at the beginning of the year just to reiterate uh, what we believe, what we're about, what are some of our distinctives, Uh, because by God's grace new people are being added every year and uh, several, you know, many people have joined uh, over the last sort of three or four years. And It's good for all of us to be reminded of what we believe especially at the beginning of the year, and it's important that uh, As a church we have unity That we are pulling in the same direction. This is true for families for organizations we all know that uh, For soccer teams uh, if you're not pulling in the same direction then uh, It's going to be a problem Uh, It's going to be division and Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 2, Be of the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And, of course, that doesn't mean we all have to dress the same, that we get a uniform or anything like that, or that we have to deny our various cultures and likes and dislikes. But it does mean when it comes to the church and the doctrines of the church and the direction of the church that there is unity. Uh, of course, there are going to be differences of opinions on secondary matters. Uh, you know, that sort of saying, if you have two people, you have three opinions. Okay? Okay. Uh, we have, you know, over hundred members. I'm sure there's many, many opinions. You know, I think we should be doing it this way. I think it should be this. I think it should be shorter. I think it should be longer. I think it should be more songs or less songs. All sorts of different opinions. And that's fine, uh, but at the end of the day, those things can cause division. You say, well, I trust the leadership. I trust the way that we're going. We want to see people saved. Uh, we want to see God glorified. And so there is this unity. We must strive for unity. And so we're not going to be able to cover everything uh, in these two sessions. And I'm sure you saw the message that went out, I think, in probably a month's time. We're going to start a series in Bible hour going through in more detail our theological persuasions. But just to say, if you're a visitor or you're watching online for the first time, this is not the normal way we do things. We don't normally do, do topical series. We're not against it. But the normal diet of the church, we believe, is is Lectio Continuum, going through the Scriptures, opening a book of the Bible, starting with chapter 1, verse 1, and, and continuing all the way through the book. So we get the context, we get the understanding, and that also keeps us from preaching hobby horses, our pet hobby horses, things that we just like talking on. Uh, you know, if you've been to some churches, all they talk about is money. Uh, other churches, all they talk about is being at church. Okay. And so really preaching to the choir, that one. Uh, but they'll have their hobby horses because they're not preaching through the scriptures. And of course, as a, as a pastor, then you're never challenging yourself because normally you're going to pick things that you're already okay at. Uh, you're not going to deal with your own sins so much. Whereas if you preach the whole counsel of God, You have to touch on what the Bible touches on. You have to touch on every doctrine and challenge every point and challenge yourself and deal with the sins of uh, the congregation and your own sins. But I I want us today to really, under two main headings, uh, our mission and our ethos. And there's overlap, uh, so probably not the best headings, but it was just helpful for me, so bear with me, our mission and our ethos as a church. And so what is our mission? Why do we as Heritage Baptist Church exist? What is our purpose? Uh, those of you in the corporate world or in management or leadership might have ri- read, or, or read Simon Sinek's book, uh, Start With Why. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why and he's done several TED Talks. And he argues that for a company to be truly successful That company needs to know why it exists. And he gives several examples. And one of the examples is Apple. Sorry, I know Mishwani will say something to me afterwards. Uh, He gives the example of Apple because he says Apple, if you ask them what is Apple's purpose, they will say our purpose is to create products that enrich people's daily lives. They say that's why we exist. They don't say we exist to make phones. Or to make computers they have a bigger purpose many other companies they say well you know what, what does your company do why do you exist well we make stuff we do this but a company that has something bigger to say now you could say well this is a bit silly but it is true that people that know why why they exist why they're doing what they're doing why their company exists uh, will flourish in that they will love what they're doing why do people so many so many people have existential crises because they don't know why they exist why am i here what is the purpose of my life and when you're younger you think well it's to make lots of money or it's to change the world or whatever it is and then you realize well actually this this doesn't satisfy me why am i here maybe you've never thought why does the church exist what is the purpose of heritage baptist maybe it's just tradition you go to church you you know that's what christians do we go to church well, there's something much richer and greater and more beautiful. There is a reason. There is a purpose to the church. And it's seen in our, our mission or vision statement. Our purpose, and it's in the bulletin at the beginning, uh, at the front, the front cover. So don't skip over that. That's important every time we come together to see why, why are we here. What is the reason? And so you see it there. Our purpose as Heritage Baptist Church is to make disciples of Lord Jesus Christ. And these disciples are to serve in mission and ministry for the glory of God. That is why we exist. And we've taken all of those from Scripture, and I'll unpack them a little bit. But really to say, if you know your Bibles, you can see that quite a lot of that comes from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. The Lord Jesus Christ, after His resurrection, before His ascension into heaven, He meets with His disciples. Uh, and of course you, you can be sure that these are very important words the last thing that Jesus says to his church before he ascends into heaven this is what he wants the apostles to know as they head out into the world at this, the commencement of the New Testament church as they begin this ministry this is what he wants them to know and he says to them in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, 18 and uh, I was excited about doing these series because uh, many of my own life verses I get to talk about. Uh, so uh, these are life verses for me. Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I exist? Why do I, what is my purpose for being in ministry? Well, here it is. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus Christ is in charge. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And now he says to his disciples and by implication us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Those of you who were here in December will know that Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience. The nations were seen as as dirty, ungodly. They are not the people of God. And here Jesus, in this book, primarily to a Jewish audience, says, Go and make disciples of all nations. And it's always a great blessing to be up here and see people from all different nations. A wonderful visual picture of this command. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then this wonderful promise, because this is a difficult calling. it is a high calling for all of us. There will be times when you want to give up Uh, when you are irritated with people in church, you've been rejected too many times, evangelizing, maybe even hurt physically, and you think, is it worth it? Uh, What's the point? Well, here's the encouragement. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, this age. It doesn't mean just to the end and then, sorry. It means uh, this age, and then there's the new heaven and new earth where God's people will be with him forever. But he has the promise. He is with us. And he is especially with you as you make disciples. And the primary place where God has chosen to do that is in local churches. And so in our mission statement or vision statement, uh, we exist ultimately to glorify God. Everything is about the glory of God. It's not about you and me. Uh, It's not that you and I are the heroes of the story. Jesus Christ is the hero, and the church is there to bring glory to him. And maybe you think, well, that's a bit narcissistic. Uh, Not at all. Uh, He is the one who is worthy of glory and honor, and the wonderful thing is, as we glorify him, we are satisfied. Try and glorify yourself. You will not be satisfied. Uh, we We are made to reflect the glory of God. We are mirrors We are not the Son. You and I work best and find our ultimate satisfaction as we glorify Him. And Heritage Baptist, by God's grace, is to glorify God. And we are to make disciples of all nations, all different types of people, all ages, all different socioeconomic brackets, education levels, all of those things. And these are to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And I remember when Tyrell and I sat and made this, this was important that we put that in there. Disciples of Christ. It's not disciples of the Baptist tradition uh, or disciples of evangelicalism or Reformed tradition or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong necessarily with those things, nor is it to make disciples of us. Again, that's not wrong. Remember, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But that's important. As you imitate Christ, you can disciple people and they can imitate you as much as you imitate Christ. We want disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember a story of, um, I think it was D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist, and he was walking, walking home one night and uh, he came across a man who was drunk on the streets, and the man in slurred speech said to him, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your disciples. And he said to him, I can see that you're one of my disciples and not one of Jesus' disciples. Okay? Uh, and so we want disciples of Jesus Christ, we want people to be like, like him, that these disciples will then serve in mission and ministry. So it's not just head knowledge, it's not just that you, you come, uh, you know, you pitch up on Sunday, get a bit of, you know, learn some stuff about the Bible, some interesting things. Maybe even you really enjoy that. You enjoy theological debate, doctrines, but it has no practical outworking in your, in your life. Some people will say things like this. Maybe you've been to churches where they, they know a lot of doctrine, very doctrinally accurate, accurate, and you say, well, that's a mature church. But they're not evangelistic. They will tell you to move if you're sitting in their chair. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care about visitors. They, don't, they get grumpy about so many different things. They are not mature. It doesn't matter how much head knowledge they have. They are not mature. They might know all the doctrines. And let me just say, this is not to say, well, we don't need doctrine. No what I'm saying is they don't, they don't actually understand doctrine because if you understand doctrine, you will love Jesus. Because doctrine is about him. It's pointing us to him. It's showing us his beauty, his majesty, all its different, different facets. If you're loving doctrine just for doctrine's sake, you're immature. You're childish. If you just want to win arguments, it's about you. It's not about, about him. And so that is our mission statement. That is why we as a church exist. And underneath that, and you can see them on the, on the sides here of the church and read them in your own time, uh, we have these five M's. Mission, magnification, membership, <clears throat> maturity, and then ministry. And I'm not going to go through all of them in, in great detail, so this is just really a, a bird's eye view. We're flying over these things just again to, it's a refresher, and to show why we exist And so the first thing here is mission. So don't get confused. This is just saying this is our mission to reach out to the lost, to be an evangelistic church. Uh, We are not called to create a Christian ghetto. Often people do that, and people then withdraw into their own little Christian world. Christian music, Christian TV, only Christian friends, just everything's Christian. You never interact with unbelievers. You don't talk to the unbeliever next to you at work. You don't make friends of unbelievers at school or at college or at varsity. You have no love for the lost. So when Tyrell and I planted Heritage in 2011, it was just a handful of us. We started in a, a home in, in in Parkhurst, and we had uh, chairs in the someone in the passage, and then uh, we had like a one of those keyboards plugged in somewhere in the kitchen, I think it was, uh, and then by God's grace we moved to the Scout Hall, and um, you, when, when the church was so small, when a visitor arrived, we pounced on him or her. Okay, <laughs> It was clear, we need to grow. We need to reach the lost. We need to show love to visitors. And God honored that and the church grew and people showed hospitality and all of those things. But then as the church grows, it's easy to to just talk to the same people every Sunday. You fall into your own little clique, your own niche. You don't look out for the stranger. You know what hospitality means? The Greek word is love for the stranger. Okay? The person who, who is newly arrived. And so to be on the lookout. To invite others. So maybe you, you're shy. We're, we're wired differently. So it's easy to put people on a guilt trip. Some people are natural evangelists. And I even believe that there's, it's, it's a proper gifting. That there are evangelists. That, that continues. And that God would raise up full-time evangelists at Heritage. But some are, more, are better at it. It's easier for them. They're, they're, they're like the Lord Jesus in, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. They can just turn any conversation to Christ. And then others of us, it's, it's more difficult. But let me say to you, what you can do is at least invite people to church. Okay. Let let Lelo offend them. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh let the, let the person up here offend them, but, or let, let the person up here share the gospel. You can do that. Uh, invite them, bring people in to hear the gospel. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. I still believe that this is the primary way that God uses to save people. But all of us are on mission to one degree or another. Reaching the lost. Another one of my theme verses, my life verses, First Corinthians ten thirty one. This is listen to the Apostle Paul. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter how mundane it is, eating and drinking, just having a glass of water, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So Paul says, here's what you want to try and do is not offend anyone. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Isn't this mind-blowing? If think, think of modern Christianity. Think of think of what Christians and even celebrity pastors put on Twitter and Facebook, and I ask you, does it fit this? It seems to me they're going out of their way trying to offend people, trying to offend people on the left or on the right or anyone who disagrees with them on anything. Paul says, my whole life I try not to offend people, and you know that Paul was not weak on the gospel. It's not that we compromise on truth. But his whole life was driven by this. I want people to be saved, that they might be one to Christ. Not one to your political party or your economic position. One to Christ. That was his life. And it should be true of all of God's people. This is the apostolic teaching. This is the most up-to-date teaching in Scripture. There is nothing more to come. This is how we are to live. And so change the way that you you think as you go to work tomorrow, as you go to school. The second thing is to magnify, is magnification. So mission, we reach out to people, bring them in. Magnification is really the Lord's Day service. We're going to uh, look at that next week. Okay, so... Uh, next week, we're going to go through and, and, and show from Scripture, why do we structure our service the way we do? Maybe you've never thought about it. You know, is it just, we thought singing would be a nice thing, we put it in. Uh, <laughs> we thought it would be good to pray, we just stuck it in there. No, I'll show you, it's all from the Bible, and this it's called a liturgy, the structure of the service. Within the very structure is the gospel. And so, you, hopefully, you'll see and, be, and marvel once again what a glorious thing it is to gather as God's people and to be part of this, this tradition that has been handed down for millennia. Then, membership. And so, you see, there Jesus says, uh, Go out, make disciples. And make disciples means evangelism and edification. Edification is an old English word. It just means to build people up. So those who are converted. So part of making a disciple is evangelism. That's the first step. You're teaching them how to be saved. What must I do to be saved? You must repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And then it's a lifetime of growing in in holiness. And the first thing is then to baptize those new converts. And so baptism and membership are really synonymous. And so we teach membership, and many Christians uh, have problems with that. Uh, let me just simply say, and you can check the verses and see that, but it is very clear uh, that the early church knew who was in the, in the church. The first church in Jerusalem, theologians estimate that within, within a very short time would have been about 30,000 people. You have these two great conversions, mass conversions. Many of them obviously went back home, but these are estimates. Many of those numbers are only the men that are being counted, never mind women and children. Uh, but it would have been huge. And yet, they knew, they even used this language, no one was just added to the church. They knew who was being added, and they also knew who, how to put people out. You can't put someone out who you don't know is part of the church in fact the apostles didn't just know who was part of the church they knew how much each person gave okay? aren't you glad we don't go that far okay. <laughs> but that's how, how detailed they knew there was a list uh, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says to elders that we will give account for those that we shepherd again how, do we, how are we to know who is we are to care for unless there is is membership. Uh, Let me just say this. For many people, actually the real issue is a heart issue that is shrouded in theological uh, contention. The real issue is I don't want to be accountable. If I don't like you guys after a little bit or if I carry on in my sin, I don't want there to be consequences. I don't want to be accountable. I want to come when I feel like coming. uh, You know, if there's not a cycle race, then I'll be there. But otherwise, just, just just leave me alone. Um, I was watching Netflix the whole night. I'm just a bit tired. I'll, I'll be there next week. You don't want to be accountable. You, you want to be a consumer. Uh, you, you only want to take. And yet the Lord Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. People who take are not happy people. They're selfish. They're 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 disgruntled. They're always angry. They're always upset. And so, being a member is, is to serve. We get the term member from, from Scripture Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. We are members of one body. And you have special gifts that the church needs. And you are. God has given every one of his children, all those who are believers, he has given them gifts spiritual gifts to serve the church to serve one another to glorify himself and so membership is uh, is not just a you know scary thing it's a glorious thing maturity and so then the process of discipleship is to grow people in maturity in christ likeness and then ultimately ministry that so that they will will serve others so again not just that it ends on you but that what you've learned and been taught, you now use to, to serve others, to help others, and you know it's a virtuous circle. Then you make disciples, who then become disciples, who make more disciples. It's it's a glorious pyramid scheme, eh? Uh, uh, it's it's that's the way the church is supposed to work. Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, he gave these, these, these gifts to the church so that to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here's an important thing. Maybe some of you grew up in traditional churches where you would just pitch up on Sunday, but the pastor or the rector or the bishop or uh, whatever name, duomeni, We just do everything. That's not the biblical teaching. God has given pastor teachers to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So that you, Paul says in Romans 15, you have enough knowledge and holiness to counsel one another. It's not that the pastors have to go around counseling everyone and sorting out every problem. The whole idea is, and he goes on here in Ephesians 4, is that the church ministers to itself in love. And so that's, the, that's mission. Why we exist. To glorify God. To make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those disciples then are involved in ministry and mission. Serving. Reaching out. Using their gifts to build up the church. And then the second heading is ethos. As I said, a lot of overlap, um, but it just, it just was helpful for me. Okay? Uh, maybe you're saying, what is ethos? What does that mean? Well, it comes from, from one of the Greek philosophers, Aristotle, it's a Greek word, and uh, Aristotle taught that uh, public speaking should have ethos. So he said, if you want to be a good public speaker, you have ethos, which, where we get the word ethics. So he says ethos is the appeal to the character or the credibility of the speaker. Okay, so why should I listen to this person? Okay, so why should I listen to a 15-year-old on global warming? Okay, <laughs> you get the idea, okay? Why must I listen to Lady Gaga on socioeconomic problems? Okay, does the person have credibility? Do they know what they're talking about? Do they have training in that field? What is their character like? Are they habitual liars? Uh, what is their character? So it was an appeal to the character, the credibility of the speaker. Pathos then meant to, to reach the heart of the audience, touch their heart, their emotions. And of course, faithful preaching will do that, will touch the heart. The Lord, the Lord ministers to all of us. And then Logos is the mind that it makes sense. Okay. And then that is expanded then to organization. So the Cambridge Dictionary says an ethos is the set of moral beliefs, attitudes, attitudes habits that are characteristics of a person or group. So when it comes to ethos, uh, what is the, the, the character and the practices that we want to see at Heritage Baptist Church? Uh, there are many churches that we could say we all agree on this. We all agree on the same confession. We are a confessional church. And we did a series on that. And you can, you can go look at the Bible Hour on that. We hold, we're not, that's why we're heritage Baptist. We're not new kids on the block Baptist. Okay? <laughs> we're heritage Baptist because we say that we, we're not inventing something. We are part of a tradition from the time of the apostles. We have a heritage all the way through. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we have a heritage. We hold to the confessions of the church. We are not so arrogant to say, you know, we are the first people to, to study the Bible. And far more gifted and have studied the Bible and wrestled through many problems and come to these conclusions that are biblical. And so we hold to these, these things. Now, many churches can say we also hold to them. And yet you know that when you go to that church, there's something different. And I'd say that's ethos. There's an ethos that's different. As I mentioned earlier, some churches can be very confessional, very theological, and yet there's not much love, not much kindness, not much grace, no zeal for evangelism. And so what are the, 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 the characteristics that we are saying we, we really want to hold on to? And again, these are not all unique. But I thought it might be helpful to say what we are not first. So what we are not, and then just, just as I said, we're just touching on a few things, many things that could be said. We'll do a long series on this. What we are not. We are not a student church. Okay? <laughs> we, when we planted Heritage, we said we want to be in the northern suburbs and be able to reach the universities, specifically Wits and UJ. But we were very clear we do not want to be a student church because we do not see that it's biblical to be a a homogenous group, to say, well, we're a student church, we're this type of church, we're a white middle-class church, we're a black middle-class church, we're this, we appeal to this recreational pursuit, whatever it is, because we feel that's contrary to the teaching of Scripture where it is supposed to be multicultural, all different age groups, not homogenous. Now, I understand in some, some areas, you, it's going to be homogenous. That's the only type of people that live in that area. God's grace, Johannesburg, is not like that. Praise the Lord for that. It's full of diversity. Uh, and so the church should replicate that. And we should not just be catering to one age group or one socioeconomic group, whatever it is, because the Lord died to break down those barriers. Now let me say this, it's proven that homogenous churches, churches that just have one type of person grow quicker. It makes sense, it's easier, because you don't feel offended sometimes or, or left out, because everyone's the same as you. You like the same music, you go to the same places, you watch the same movies, it's, it's easy. Uh, you, you don't really need to die to self, you don't need to really change too much, because you you're all the same. And praise God for, for different, different uh, ethnic groups, different ages that show us our blind spots. It's, you know, it's painful, but it's good for us. So we are not a student church. Nor are we a family church. You know, a lot of people like to say that we're a family church. Now, if if they mean we just love people, praise the Lord. But often what they mean is there is a priority on families. And if you're single, you need to get married soon. Okay? (laughs) And you're a second-class citizen functionally if you're single. Well, the Lord Jesus was single. Paul was single when he was doing his ministry. Probably married earlier. But by the time he's called, he's single. Uh, we, don't, we don't say, well, if you're single, you're less than at all. And if you think that, shame on you. Repent of that, okay? Uh, we get to serve God in our different seasons and states of life. And so we're not a family church in that sense. Like, you, there's a priority for families. It's all of God's people. Wherever you find yourself in life, whatever station, whatever situation... You belong to God, and you are precious, and Jesus Christ died for you, and we're here to disciple you in that season of life. Whether the Lord calls you to singleness for your whole life, or calls you to marriage, whatever it is, there is not a, uh, you're more Christian, you're more holy if you are this status. Nor are we an independent Bible church, okay? We are in fraternal relationships with other churches. Not that they can tell us what to do. They don't have authority over us. We don't believe from the Bible that that's correct. But they can correct us. They can say, hey, wait a minute. What you're doing is not right. Often, independent Bible churches are just doing that because they don't want anyone to correct them. And they become cultish. Okay? We are in relationship with other churches. And not just Baptist churches, just so you know all different types of traditions, as long as they are gospel. It doesn't mean there's different levels. It doesn't mean we'll plant churches with them necessarily, all those things, but we are in fellowship with them. Nor is heritage a branch of your political party or ideological persuasions. We're not here to back you up in that, as an arm of that. We're here to preach the gospel and make disciples. We will teach what the Bible says on every topic. Uh, But you cannot co-opt the church into your views. And the same with your social justice campaign. You cannot co-opt this church into those things. Those things may be well and good. But the church is called to make disciples of all nations. You go out into the world and live a life of justice. And care for people, and look out for the weak and the poor, and we will do that in the church, so that no one who belongs to Heritage will ever go to go to sleep hungry, by God's grace. And if that is the case, speak to the deacons. But yeah, we are to call, we are to make disciples. Uh, God has reduced the, the calling of the church as an institution to make disciples who go out into the world as salt and light. Yes. Bring social justice, bring change, bring righteousness into the world. As you go out into the world, as a mother, a father, a child, uh, a sibling, a CEO, a servant, whatever sphere, an artist, a sportsman, wherever, you bring that change. But when the church starts to become distracted from its calling, I can show you over and over again through church history, when when the church becomes distracted... To those other issues, they lose the gospel. And without the gospel, we're all going to hell. It doesn't matter how nice we make the world. We've lost the fundamental thing, eternal life, knowing God. And so those are some things that we are not. Okay? What we are, number one, we are Trinitarian. Okay? It's a correct view of who God is. God is Trinity. And so many Christians are weak on this doctrine. That's why they get taken out by Jehovah's Witnesses and other other groups that try and deceive people. But we are Trinitarian. There is one God who exists as three persons and each person is fully God, not lesser than the other. One God who exists as three persons, and each one is fully God, and we glorify all of them. And when I write my guidelines for those who do the prayers up here, I encourage them to be Trinitarian. That we pray to the triune God, that it is the Father who elects, it is the Son who redeems his people and the spirit who applies that redemption to the elect We praise God as he works in this world in different ways and each member of the Trinity works differently as he works in the world We should we should acknowledge that and praise each member of the Trinity and worship the Godhead Secondly, we are Christ-centered. This is not against Trinitarianism. It's just that as you read the Bible God, the triune God, have chosen that the person of Jesus Christ in his humanity is to be exalted. He is the one who died on the cross for us. Now, most churches will say they are Christ-centered, but this is really a huge thing for us, especially in the preaching and teaching, that we bring our teaching and preaching to Christ. Otherwise, it's just moralistic. And you could hear the same teachings in a synagogue or a mosque. You could hear about being kind. You could hear about being good. You could hear about worshiping God. You could hear all of these things. But what is the difference? Jesus Christ, that he is God. Paul writes to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians and he says all the promises... So all the Old Testament promises, everything that the Israelites were looking forward to, find their amen, their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Christ is the center. Christ is the one who has been pointed to. Christ is the way that we are changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold Jesus, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. So in every sermon, by God's grace, I want you to see Christ. That You become a little bit more like him. That he is the one who left the glories of heaven, that came and took upon himself frail humanity, took upon himself flesh, was humiliated. Even though all he did was go around doing good, proclaiming the truth, not lying to people, not trying to start a cult or anything like that telling people the truth, in love, doing good works, never sinned in thought, word, or deed, and yet is taken and treated as the vilest sinner of all, stripped naked, spat upon, forsaken, betrayed by those who actually knew him. Isn't that insane? How wicked is that? If you knew the best person who's ever lived, Who never bullied you, who never used you, only did good to you, and yet they forsook him. They left him. And that's nothing compared to the wrath of the Father, the righteous judgment of God that you and I deserve because of our sin. Our vile and perverted thoughts and actions, our sinful anger, sinful lust, greed, covetousness, idolatry. All of that filth is taken and put on Christ. He who knew no sin became sin, and then he is judged in our place, forsaken by God. And yet, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Even in the midst of that, he's not full of bitterness. He's not full of anger. He continues to to love and so we want Christ to be the focus we want people to see Christ who is it we should want to become like Jesus Christ we want people to know Christ not join our denomination not just be part of our church so we can tick off we've got new people we want people to know Christ whom to know is life eternal life whom to know means you have now an identity and a purpose. You know why you exist. All of this means we are, we are biblical. Now, again, every church will say that. You know, when I uh, often hear at, at pastors' conferences and then people ask pastors' questions and things like that, you know, uh, what would you say to people if they're moving churches where they should go, well, make sure that they must go to a biblical church. I've never, have you ever come across a church that says, we're not biblical? Okay. <laughs> They stand up at the front and say, guys, we have decided to throw this away. Uh, We are using the Sun newspaper. Okay, (laughs) You never find that. Every church says they're biblical. False teachers say they're biblical. It's not enough to say, well, we're biblical. What do we mean? That's why we have a confession to explain what we mean. We don't hide anything. But by b- Biblical, we mean we take the Scripture as our ultimate authority over and above the creeds and confessions. But they help us. And when we take the Bible, we understand that the Bible is not written in a wooden, literalistic way. In many, we read it in terms of its context, in terms of its genres, its literary style. We read it in terms of the way the Apostles interpreted the Old Testament. We seek to get the same hermeneutic, that's a principle of interpretation, as the apostles. We don't read it just simply as 21st century Christians just stick and paste onto our context. It was not written. It was written thousands of years ago in totally different culture, in different languages. And so we take seriously trying to work out what it means. And we do give primacy to the apostles' teaching. Remember the early church, Acts 2:42. They gathered... To hear apostles' doctrine. Because the apostles are telling us what Christ wants us to know. We don't take an obscure verse from Leviticus and build a whole doctrine. We say, okay, what do the apostles say? Along with church history, we interpret the less clear passages with the more clear passages. And as we study God's word, it shows us that we are to be Trinitarian and Christ-centered. And that Paul could say this. He could use these terms interchangeably preaching the word, preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus. You preach the word, preach the scriptures, for Paul was preaching Jesus. And the scriptures at that time were what we call the Old Testament. So you make sure you go to a church. When they open the Old Testament, they tell you about Jesus. Because Paul said, it's about Jesus. And then lastly, loving God, loving people, uh, that's an overflow. Remember, Jesus simplifies the whole Bible to love God, love others. If you do that, you're fulfilling the whole Bible. And so we are to be a people that loves. Love will drive you to be evangelistic. Love will drive you to show hospitality, to reach out to the stranger. Love will drive you to bear one another's burdens, even though it's difficult. I had a friend of mine, who would tease me. He said, all pastors do is sit and drink coffee. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I knew what he was saying. is because often pastors are at coffee shops. But you're meeting people there. And you know what they're doing? They're unburdening. They're saying, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's going on in my family. This is the news that I just got. And you keep doing that over and over, every day, taking people's burdens. And unless you're a rock, (laughs) it hurts. Because if you love people, it's going to hurt. But Paul says that's what we must do. We must bear one another's burdens. Of course, I hate getting the message or the phone call. This is what's happened. It's it's painful. you don't like it if you get a phone call from your child or a loved one or a spouse that they've just been in an accident or whatever because it hurts you. you. You're not even there. You could be thousands of kilometers away and yet you know it hurts you. And so if you just come in as a consumer and not interacting and bearing people's burdens, you're not loving people. And so we ought to be, by God's grace, to be a loving church. And so as you do that, you're making disciples, you are building the church of God. You have purpose, you have meaning, and everything else filters into that. Your family, your career, all those things, because you're building the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is his rule and his reign, which is primarily seen in the church. And we want that rule and reign to expand. We're not thinking geographically. We don't want, like, we want more land or something. We want more people, more hearts. I think John Piper said, missions exist wherever worship does not exist. We want people to worship Christ. He is worthy. But isn't that what you want? You know you do that. You see a great movie. You want everyone to like it. You've got to see it. And you're upset when they don't like it. <laughs> well, you've got no taste. Okay. Don't you want everyone to worship Jesus? Isn't he worthy? So give your life to this, to making disciples part of this church. Maybe some of you have read Ken Follett's book, Pillars of the Earth. It's historic fiction about the building of a cathedral. You know those great cathedrals in Europe? Do You know that some of those cathedrals would take centuries to complete. That a young boy, young teenager... Would become an apprentice stonemason working on a cathedral he would work his whole life till 70 die and it would be not completed that's how they lived that's building a physical building how much more us building the true church that will not perish at home i'm busy building a deck and i find it refreshing and it's, it's i enjoy it but i know in 20 years the wood will be rotten in a trillion years the work you've done in people's lives will still be, will still last. The gold, silver, and precious stones as you've discipled people, as you've evangelized, they've come to Christ. As you've counseled and and encouraged, simply prayed, helped, whatever it is, that will last forever. I'm not saying you, you know, don't build decks or something. (laughs) We can do all of those things, but don't make it ultimate. This is ultimate, that we get the privilege of being fellow laborers with Jesus Christ, building his church. That will last forever. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to be your people, and to be part of your church. Uh, the means that you have chosen to glorify yourself and to redeem your people. And Lord, the church is often weak often foolish, often scoring own goals. But you love her and you're making her beautiful. And Lord, we want to be a faithful church. We don't claim that we're better or that we've arrived. We don't want that type of silly arrogance or stupidity. We just want to be faithful. We know we have blind spots. We know we sin in various ways. We thank you for the graces that we do have, but we want to keep growing. And so we pray that all of us would know why we exist, why heritage exists, and that we would be energized and invigorated for this new year. We pray, use our evangelistic efforts. Save many people. We want to see uh, many buildings. We want to see larger venues filled with people praising you, glorifying you, fighting sin, making more disciples. And so please help us. If there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, uh, please Draw them to yourself. If they're wondering, why were they born? Why am I here? They were born to glorify you. And so may they know you, Lord Jesus. Please work, Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, if, you, if you're able to, we're going to have a closing hymn.